Comrades, kindly note, if the passage included in the episode piques your interest or raises concerns, I invite you to listen to a thorough academic analysis of Shooting an Elephant by George Orwell on the Patreon podcast, Literary Hangover with Matt Leck. It'll be linked in the show notes. So I read this this week. I thought it was an interesting uh, little passage of this essay that Orwell wrote uh, in 35 or 36. I think it was published in 36. He wrote it as Eric Arthur Blair. Um, he's written a lot about the British Raj in the East. He was a police officer in the British Raj in the East, so he's written a lot of things. Uh, Burmese days, uh, a hanging. This is from an essay called uh, Shooting an Elephant. <clears throat> in Maulmain, in Lower Burma, I was hated by large numbers of people. The only time in my life I have been important enough for this to happen to me. I was a subdivisional police officer of the town, and in an aimless, petty kind of way, anti-European feeling was very bitter. No one had the guts to raise a riot, but if a European woman walked through the bazaars alone, somebody would probably spit Beetlejuice over her dress. <clears throat> As a police officer, I was an obvious target, and was baited whenever it seemed safe to do so. When a nimble Burman tripped me up on the football field, and the referee, another Burman, looked the other way, the crowd yelled with hideous laughter. This happened more than once. In the end, the sneering yellow faces of young men that met me everywhere, the insults hooted at me after I was at a safe distance, got badly on my nerves. A young Buddhist priest were worst of all. There were several thousand of them in the town, and none of them seemed to have anything to do except stand on street corners and jeer at Europeans. All this was perplexing and upsetting, for at the time I had already made up my mind that imperialism was an evil thing, and the sooner I chucked up my job and got out of it, the better. Theoretically, and secretly, of course, I was all for the Burmese and all against their oppressors, the British. As for the job I was doing, I hated it more bitterly than I can perhaps make clear. In a job like that, you see dirty work of empire at close quarters. The wretched prisoners huddled in the stinking cages of the lockup, the gray cowed faces of the flogged with, uh, uh, of long-term convicts, the scarred buttocks of the men who had been flogged with bamboos. All these uh, oppressed me with an intolerable sense of guilt. But I could get nothing into perspective. I was young and ill-educated, and I had had to think out my problems in utter silence that is imposed on every Englishman in the East. I did not even know that the British Empire is dying. Still less did I know that it, uh, it, was, a great better, it, was, <clears throat> it was a great deal better than the younger empires that were going to supplant it. All I knew was that I was stuck between my hatred of the empire I served and my rage against the evil-spirited little beasts who tried to make my job impossible. With one part of my mind, I thought the British Raj an unbreakable tyranny, something clamped down in selectra selectrum, upon the will of prostrate people. With another part, I thought that the greatest joy in the world would be to drive a bayonet into a Brutus priest's guts. Feelings like these are normal byproducts of imperialism. Ask any Anglo-Indian official if you can catch him off duty.
We're here again, folks, in Highlands Bunker. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We're in the belly of the beast. We're behind enemy lines here. Um, I have, I'm very excited to have uh, in the bunker with me a uh, member of the RD16 Democratic Committee, former RD16 candidate, uh, your Delaware Info Now star on YouTube on Channel 28. Um, Actually, when I started conceiving of this podcast, he was one of the people who came to my mind because he's out there because he's doing it. Jackie Muhammad. Thank you. Thank you, Robert, man. Wow. Thank you. That was a great introduction, man. I, I, my wife couldn't do it a little bit better. And she's over here. So. And, uh, and also sitting in tonight, I think we have a mic over there somewhere, so she might actually jump in on this. this is Yolanda. How are you? I'm good. Hello. Hello. Well, you know, uh, Robert, it's been a while since I've seen you uh, from the Kerry uh, campaign, and it's, it, I've always known that we were definitely get back together and talk over some great stuff today. Yeah, I, was, I, I remember meeting you uh, here. You're, you're a veteran of the bunker. You've been in these, uh, in these parts. In the bunker. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, and yeah, uh, we saw each other all throughout the Kerry campaign, and... And then you, uh, you know, you were running. Then you started up uh, a lot of organizing and activism. And and again, like seeing seeing some of that sort of inspired me to sort of do something similar. Actually, well, I love it. I love it, Robert. One of the things I find is that we need to have more civic media. And your civic media. Don't let nobody tell you anything else. This is the civic media that we actually need. We need intelligent talking people about intelligent talking subjects yeah i mean i and it, it sort of brings everybody together when it's hyper local too uh i know i it's something that i struggle with sometimes because i try to have it hyper local but then also give some broader context um and so you, you struggle sometimes but i think it's really important that the people right around you know uh, that you're listening to them you can get involved and you also have solidarity sort of like within the city and within the state that is correct. That's the sort of idea of it. Well, you know, one of the things that is important to us, now we're on Channel 190 locally on Comcast 190. Uh, one of the things that was important for me was to make sure that in this presidential hype up of the political theater that we see with the debates and everything else in town halls, that we don't get lost on what's happening locally. The localism is important for me. Yeah, absolutely. So usually when we start in here, um, I'm interested, and that's one of the reasons I was so interested in that part of that essay, because I asked people how they came to sort of activism or how they came to do the work that they do, uh, what sort of inspired them, or was there a seminal moment, or just your experiences, different experiences you have in your life over time. Um, because I know, really the only thing I know is I know you were in the service and that you were at NYPD <laughs> right. because you were here in a bunker and I found out that there was a, there was an ex cop in the bunker. <laughs> so we actually, this is true. This is true, everyone. We had to ring, we had to pull an alarm. There was an alarm pull. Everybody rushed in, and then we were like, "That's the guy. That's the cop." And I'm like, "Oh, Jack, he's not. A, oh, wait a minute." And I was like, "It's fine. It's fine. You're the yeah. only so so you are you are known as the only uh, police officer who is is, is part of this uh, the syndicate." Yeah. Well, it, like, you know, the funny thing that uh, I always get, uh, I worked 20 years with uh, New York City Department of Corrections. I worked with the police department. It started out over there. But I went. I actually uh, retired as a New York City Department of Corrections. Now, 
it, it when I, you hear that, you hear Rikers Island. Most of your listeners are going to hear Rikers Island. And you know that old saying, ain't no smiling on Rikers Island. And they're closing that down right now. Well, my seminal moment was when I grew up in the projects. And from the projects, I never, when I talked to anybody, I never romanticized poverty. Never romanticized it. Never made it. It's never a thing. And I wasn't poor. In fact... Uh, we grew up kind of middle class, but we still lived in the projects. And the projects, you know, it was at one time you had to have a certain income to go there. I have a father and a mother, and they we grew up together. They soon divorced, but we all grew up together. So my my deal was that I was a tall guy. I was six two at 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 uh. 14 years old. I can confirm you're still a tall guy. <laughs> so, so I played basketball, played football. I was very popular in, in high school, but I never liked bullies. And that's one of the things that was, to me, I, I can say that all of my life, I, I never liked bullies. I, the, the cool cats knew me, but so did the nerds because I'm a sci-fi. I'm a sci-fi nerd. I love sci-fi and I, and I read all the time. So the, the pivotal thing that I can say is, is that we went to Michigan, uh, uh, four doctors that came from my projects, Linden Houses, big shout out to Brooklyn, East New York, Linden Houses. We love shout outs here too. <laughs> we'll definitely shout that out. So uh, four people that went to Michigan actually took some people to Michigan from Brooklyn. And they showed us Michigan University Wolverines and they showed us uh, another life. And so that was pivotal for me. Plus, I went to a pretty decent school, high school, Fort Hamilton High School in Brooklyn, near Bay Ridge. Great high school. It wasn't the forced busing that you get other ways, but we had bus passes in New York to get to other schools that were we had to integrate. And I loved it. And um, as a correction officer in the city of New York, I saw a lot of injustice. I saw many injustice. I, I was retired from there. I saw people being locked up for marijuana that was, uh, to me, was just a choice for self-medication. I never got into hooked into marijuana. I had a lot of cousins that were. I would never into it. But I'm always part of, I've always been part of, I, you don't need to be a part of this permission society. As long as you're doing something that does not affect me, I personally do not care. And that's how I and that's how I became into activism. Yeah, I mean that's like and it's not just police or corrections. You know, I think a lot of people I came to it sort of from that too where you see sort of injustice or you you see the structural stuff where you as you said like you don't Poverty is just a structural thing that's being sort of imposed on groups of people. That is correct. So there's no reason to think anything other, other to me, other than that material thing. Yep. And when you see that kind of thing, whether or however you sort of realize that's happening, and if you see it acutely or in close quarters, um, it really makes a lot of impact on you. That came, came through it the same, same way. You're absolutely right. And to think that... Uh, uh, black and brown people have a uh, a stranglehold on poverty. You're you're sadly mistaken because in New York City, I saw people that or were white or Caucasian that did not have as much money as I had. So they they think that. 
poverty is just one particular way. I learned that at an early age. Plus, I used to like to play poker. I'm a poker man. I like my poker. And uh, you get to meet a lot of different people from different races when you play poker. Yeah, there's a very famous uh, political scientist and economist from England, had a big beard, who wrote a lot about this, about sort of class feeling. I think you might be a Marxist. <laughs> or you at least have the tendencies. You have the tendencies where... We might get you. I think you're you're susceptible to our propaganda. I think. Well, you know, you have a lot of you speak in uh, you speak in the in the in the the the, the, the way of, of uh, class. Like the, this is a structural thing. We're all in this together, right? And uh, we want justice for people and economic justice for people and dignity for people. And uh, yeah, you're susceptible well, to our propaganda. You know, I like it. You know, <laughs> I like that too. You know, I I've owned businesses and I and. And uh, some people may say I'm a capitalist, and and that's that's great. I have no problem with that because you know I'm not a big label guy. But one thing I will say, and Rob, I'm going to give this back and kick it right back to you. One thing I will say, uh, the isms, the sexism, the racism, the biases, whatever the isms may be, uh, if you believe as a good person that everybody has the ability to be a good person, and I've seen it. I've seen thousands of young men and women that came through Rikers Island. And, and believe you me, I, I worked maximum security. So that means I had the worst of the worst in New York. I worked in, in Queens House of Detention. I worked in, in Brooklyn House of Detention and BCF, Brooklyn Naval Yard, and also on Rikers Island. So I had the worst of the worst. Big guy, you know you're going to put him in there to, to intimidate. And just to be that person to say, we all are one people. There's no difference. There's crackpots and everything, and I don't want to curse on, on here. No, you, you can know? curse on <laughs> All right. We actually <laughs> encourage you. <laughs> I don't want to curse, but there's crackpots in every people, and they all do the same. It doesn't matter. I've seen, I've seen, um, and just, uh, I've seen Chinese gangs in New York City that preyed on the Chinese. And I see Vietnamese gangs that prey on the Vietnamese and Koreans the same way. And they, well, people are people. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've heard you mention uh, just about talking about yourself, I think, on your YouTube channel. You're like, well, uh, people call me a capitalist or, or, or they have this because I, or progressive. Or, 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 or I'm a progressive or I'm liberal or I'm not a liberal. Or, and really, I mean, the way that you put it was like, look, I'm just telling you sincerely what I think. Yes, Whatever sir. that is, that's what I am. That's right, and I saw that. I, I kind of dig that because I, 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 I understand that too. Right. Um, you know, I put my ideas in sort of some sort of framework just for people sometimes, but the kind of organizing that it is is, is just like it doesn't really matter. That's right, and and even your podcast, my our show, and you know Yolanda has real talk with Yolanda. She mostly stays with health and all that. I'm the one who stays with the political, but we are the necessary shock to this system. They need us. They need us because this system has been broken. I always go back to The Matrix, one of my favorite sci-fi movies. And, and I think it was um, Trinity who says to Neo, I think you see that there's something ain't right in the world. That's the reason why he was looking for The Matrix. It's the same thing I see. There's something ain't right. And I think you see it too. There's something's something's a little skew. 
and especially when we, when we got uh, Trump. And I and I said this will be the first and last time you hear me say Trump on this podcast. Well, it's funny that you said <laughs> well, that's another sort of running uh, story here is we talk about Trump very, very little. Right. Um, we've had a couple like national political debates. We're a big uh, we're, we're a big Bernie bunker. This is a, this is <laughs> All a, right. This is a Bernie bunker. There you go. But, you know, we've talked about it. But like a lot of stuff with Trump, it's just I mean, on its face, it's just so vile and gross. There's nothing there's nothing to be said other than to do to be act, be an activist, to there do you whatever go. you need to do to defeat that wherever it is, whether it's at the national level or the, the local level or whatever. Well, you know, I, I can tell, Rob, that you are a student of history. And one of the things that we've learned about history, whether you uh, study Andrew Jackson or whether you even study Thomas Jefferson, and, and you know, I, I know a lot of people love Thomas Jefferson, as far as I'm concerned, Thomas Jefferson was all right as a young man. He became a, a real asshole when he got older. And well, Abraham Lincoln went the other way. He was an asshole when he was young, and then he became all right when he got older. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough context. We call it we call it problematic. Yes, yes. You know, that's why I read the little like that's why I read that bit at the beginning, because I understand reading that. If you read that entire Orwell essay, I, and I actually would, and I do like rec Orwell. recommend you do. It's it's very short. You can get. I think it's free online now. You could probably read it in twenty minutes. But you know the pr how he describes the pressure of this monolith. He calls them yellow faces. You know, right. and worse. And so, you know, that's you know not just the language, but treating someone as uh, treating uh, uh, someone you're oppressing as just this monolith group of people is 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 is, uh, is is something you have to look out for so i don't even think when i think about like founding fathers i just try to put them in a very strange context and say okay historically they're significant because they did this other than that you know, I just leave them aside because that's it's too, to there's too, too it. much problematic shit with that. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I mean, uh, especially when I talk about the Permission Society, some people would say I would be a libertarian It'd be off of some of my ideas. I think we might have to blow that alarm again. <laughs> you're, on, you're on thin ice now. We went from Marxist <laughs> right. to libertarian. This is horrible. But I wouldn't be a libertarian only because we have all those isms. And if we were lived in a rosy and rainbow nation, maybe a libertarian but i couldn't be a libertarian because those isms are part of our there's something askew uh, 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 you know it, it bogs down the conversation yes, because even like uh, one of the heroes of uh, people like me and, and people who think like me uh, is noam chomsky he's from philly Let's give it up for philly oh we got a big sh we get a big, big shout, shout out, out to noam if you're listening noam we love you yeah we do love noam <laughs> but his philosophy is basically anarcho-libertarianism right but when people think about libertarianism they think about sort of economic libertarian so it's, you know it, you get bogged down in these conversations mm -hmm. and you don't get to like why can't we get a, a living wage or for people who work in food service yes, you know? yes like that's really what we should be talking about right don't ask me to explain the difference between you know the two different kinds of libertarianism yeah absolutely right and one of the things of being the chairman of the 16th rd democratic committee in newcastle is i get this all the time from some of my libertarian or republican friends all the time they tell me how can you be a democrat you're you know you got more views that's different but you know or um 
I, I really don't look at the Democratic Party as that. Democratic Party has a lot of evils to it. Let there be no mistake about it. They've done a lot of evils, and they are still doing some evils. But listen, they still beat the Republicans. Yeah, well, the way we break by it down, a little bit. Yeah, the, <laughs> the way we. I mean, we've had this conversation here before. I mean, we we critique the Democratic Party from the left very very hard and we're going to continue to do that and you should but but when it comes to making a, when it comes to voting you have to vote in a strategic way right like the time to raise your disagreement with what the democratic party is doing is not when you get into the voting booth that is correct. like there's plenty of other times you could like right so, now like yeah exactly we're doing we're actually doing one right now that's right so yeah so that i actually t- again it's very important to separate that and if you get bogged down with with, with like different labels, you, don't, you can't do that. Yeah, the silos are uh, terrible. And uh, one of the things that I've, in fact, at August Quarterly, which is a, uh, an annual thing they have here, an African-American from the uh, Methodist Church and all that, it's been d- done a- annually here in Delaware. Uh, the other day I was speaking to Mr. Scott Walker, and he, he caught me, he caught me, and uh, I had a half an hour talk with Scott. And people, other Democrats came to me, why are you speaking to Scott? Because Scott is funny sometimes. We have a, uh, <laughs> there's funny. a, um, there's a high ranking official here in the bunker who had a, had a, a very interesting uh Running an exchange with him, <laughs> he, he will remain nameless. But there, there's there's photographic evidence of it, and actually the photograph of it is super. And, and and I will say this, Scott Scott has been Scott, and if you are real with me, I can be real with you. I don't I don't like too many of the people that put on these two these faces. I I was always told by my mother, if everybody likes you, either you're a good liar. Or, or you're still a liar. There's no way around it. You yeah, cannot I be mean, liked by everybody. Again, I, I will have to give you that one. There is in in Mr. Walker. There is a certain air of um, he's a whatever he is. It's genuine. Yes. I don't know what the noun is. I would exactly describe it, but it's. I think there's a there's there's some realness to it. That is correct. So I can give him that. Yeah, right. For sure. And that's and that's about the only thing I can give him. But I will say, you know, we have a lot of voices in the Democratic Party that should be heard. A lot of voices were not heard because the establishment would not allow these voices to be heard. Now, on the other side of that is when we talk about, and let me just get hyper-local, when we talk about the moving of the Rodney Square bus hub before a bus hub was actually uh, constructed, and we're going through that now, the email scandals, the Buccini and Pollen group, what they're doing in Wilmington, we have to say, that is not Scott Walker. That's the Democratic Party. Yeah. No, I'm glad those are the uh, two... Really interesting things I wanted to bring up because we ran into each other during the bus route change, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm a, I'm a bus rider, so I was sort of so involved in that. Um, the, and, of course, the email scandal of what if people really saw what was discussed, uh, I think it would be extremely eye-opening. Yes, it would. Um, because I think people, I think people would be disgusted, actually, yes, at, at, what it would, at what it was. Especially since... Uh, 
our elected officials chose to say that there was so much crime there and there was so much at Rodney Square and that's why they were moving the buses. They actually lied to the people who actually are your employers. And make no mistake about it, elected officials, they are employees of the people. And when you lie to the people on why you was doing it, it it shows no trustworthiness to me. Well, and it's, I think it's even to to be perfectly uh, frank, I, I think it's even more nefarious. Yes, sir. Because it serves corporate interests. Yes, it serves Buccini Pollen Group. You said it before. Comores. The, 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 yeah, the the big the, the big uh, comes around Rodney Square because frankly, those executives don't want to see the people in the city. That is correct. The, the people who live in the city, they're not interested in those people. That is correct. And so they don't want to see them. And the more that they don't want to see them. And, and I think when, when if people were able to look at the correspondence between the, the, the parties involved here, the primary parties involved, uh, I think the people would be disgusted probably. You know, most of the people will be disgusted because I'm, I, it's eventually going to come out. Uh, this happened in 2017, and when they did the September, uh, they had the September news conference. Well, what happens is they, they every pick they do a, a thing where they go to the public and they talk about what they're going to change. September 17th, I and Herman Holloway Jr., former state representative, we all spoke there, uh, and it was overwhelmingly that the public, the riding public wanted those buses to stay at Rodney Square. But yet, DART did this. Uh, and we know that uh, it was on the behest of maybe the governor, maybe uh, Przicki, maybe because of the lawyers on all the other corporate people. But we know that the public, the riding public, was not for Rodney Square to be changed until the bus hub was actually up. Yeah, and this this raises a, a larger question, and I'm interested in your I'm interested in your position on it or your feelings about it because in a week or two uh, here we've been our group here has been reading another book called Capital City uh, by a, a planner called uh, Samuel Stein. He's a teacher at Hunter College. Uh, he uh, is getting a PhD at. Um, City University of New York. He's going to come on and talk about this book about gentrification, but what he phrases it is the real estate state. Yes. And things like the bus route change, things like being able to miraculously come up with land that used to be in the county that now it's in Southbridge and there's a basketball court on. That is correct. Uh, things like the, uh, and so getting to my point, the, the blight bill. <clears throat> I've been reading, because I've been reading this book, I've been talking to people about this blight bill. <clears throat> I understand why people think it's good, but I don't think it's good, and I'm interested in your in your feeling about it. Well, uh, let me just say this: the blight bill. We were both me and Yolanda were at the original meeting for it. Uh, we was at one of the subcommittees for it. I think it was the, uh, well, I think it was a public works or committee that I, th and we were at those things, and we 100 percent agree with that that revitalization of some of the properties in Wilmington should happen. And most reasonable people will believe that. Am I right or wrong? Yes, that's true. Right. Now, it goes now into devil is in the details. If you're giving a bunch of fines, first, before you even talk about my house, the city of Wilmington need to clean up the 30 or 40 properties that they have 
that they did not clean up that is a blight onto the community before you even talk about that. Second, L&I. Oh, Lord. L&I has been a disaster. I, I don't know how many inspectors we have now. Well, I know here, I'm not the numbers that I am in my head. And this is one of the details because they have no mechanism for sort of cleaning up or putting in place a good system because they, they want to say that they want to do a thousand or two thousand inspections a year. Really, they should be doing five thousand and they should exactly. be inspecting every new every turnover. Now they're only doing. 200 or 300 a year. That is correct. So they have no mechanism to even meet the standard that they're putting in, which is low, too low. Yes. And so I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that there's a that's a big problem. Well, you know, the you're absolutely right, Rob. And the other part of that is that if you're listening to this podcast and you live in a mid-sized city like Wilmington, there's lots of us all over the country that live in where you have a population of only 72,000 or 70, 73,000 or even less than 75,000. This happens all the time where we have administrations that want to put in these uh, uh, crazy ideas to better it, which just means that on the back of the Wilmingtonians, you're just going to make sure that you have a good pot. Yeah, I mean, if you look, budgets. and that's where, you, if you look at it from, if you come down from just, oh, you know, everything will be better and it'll be nicer. And that's not that's, just that's not, but the, the benefit is going to ensure that there's private real estate control, basically Buccini Pollen or the city, or, or some, you know, non-profit, public-private bullshit. So even the, to enforcing these standards in in the in the name of cleaning up the neighborhood yes. is just a big grab for the real estate state. it's a land grab it's a call land what grab. it is call and, it what and it so is. the benefits of ultimately when 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 what if whatever money gets put back into the into the area for money is going to drive out the people that are there. Right. The natives that have been here, that's been doing a lot of work here, that's been, have generational, generational, we call them legacy residents of the uh, neighborhoods. They're being pushed out. They're going to be, because, you know, there's a lot of people that actually have one or two different properties here in the city that actually, that's their livelihood. Their, their grandmothers may have left them a property, so now they rent it out. So then you tax them and give the property to Puccini and Pollen or some other big developer. That's what's not, that doesn't square with me. Yeah, and, and again, I think when people start looking at this, I don't like, and then there's the, the flip side to that is ensuring that heavy industry, when, you know, most heavy industry left the cities, but as it comes back in some fashion, where they put a new heavy industry plant in right in the middle of Southbridge. Oh, so it go on the other side, it goes right, you know, you're getting it on both ends, and um, it's sort of complicated, but people get apathetic, and they don't want to play the game, but as you said, I've heard you say this many times, the game's being played on them. Yes. Whether they want to play the game or not, not the game's being be played, played on, on them. Yes. You know, one of the things that I've ever had, uh, since I've came down here, remember, we came down here seventeen, almost 17 years ago, and we bought a house in Dunleith. And one of the things that got me back into this, because, you know, I was I was doing some stuff in New York, but I was also a businessman in New York. Well, what got me back into it is our leadership. 
And when we talk about Southbridge and we talk about the Route 9 corridor, because you know I talk about the Route 9 corridor a lot on my show. When we talk about the Route 9 corridor, we had some leaders that were not standing up for the Route 9 corridor or Delaware. Uh, you know, the funniest thing that we ever did is when I'm on a bus, the 14 or the 15 bus going back to the Route 9, I have to stand up for Delaware more than people who actually were born here in Delaware. I say, man, you don't even want to stand up for your community? And we saw bad leadership. Now, I just want to go back to one thing about Wilmington that before we leave out of Wilmington, go to the Route 9 corridor and the Southbridge about that uh, Wayland plant. Let me just talk about AAA. AAA Mid-Atlantic, uh, Ken Grant, and big shout out to the AAA Mid-Atlantic. They had did an article about our parking enforcement here. And this parking enforcement is because I had put a, a post about a month ago about I saw two cars that were being booted on Market Street. Two big old yellow boots, and it was is a very colorful picture. And if you go to Jaquem Muhammad on Facebook, you'll see it. And AAA contacted me, Mid Atlantic, and says we're doing something. We're getting some information about the parking here. That we've had forty dollar tickets now for almost twenty years. Twenty years, forty dollar tickets in a mid size, mid size city as this, is a lot of money. Where most mid-sized city, where I saw the paperwork on it, most mid-sized cities, you get a $15 or $20 parking ticket. Here in Wilmington, they're collecting $3 million yearly. The mayor's putting it in his budget that this is what we're going to get from parking violations. And we have no recourse, no recourse to, to, um, to go against it, to appeal it. I appealed a ticket. They told me, Eh, well, we, we saw your ticket. You saw your appeal. It's denied. You have to pay the $40. Yeah, I appealed a ticket, too. It was the same thing. I got the same same thing happened to me. I got the same thing. They stuck it to me. But I think it's just a, it's a larger issue, right? They're, they're going to look to any regressive way to take money from, like, a regular person and... And, t and put it somewhere else. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the thing. And, and, and again, going back, and I, I want to just jump back to something you said because I agree with it, but I agree with it with a caveat. Yeah. You know, you tr you, people are apathetic and they're, they're indifferent. Um, and I understand why they are. And trying to motivate them is difficult. Oh, yes. But the system that we've talked about has done everything. You know, you get a couple $40 parking tickets uh, or, you know, you have no recourse when they put, a, you know, a heavy industry as your neighbor. Right. You to, like, you're beaten down. Like, the, the system has, has created a situation for you to be indifferent. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely Yolanda over here going through a little thing. <laughs> she said the conversation is so heated. Uh, well, I will tell you, and I should I should have mentioned. Uh, sometimes uh, Mar Super Producer Margaret is here. She's not here tonight, but uh, she says that because it gets fairly hot in here. Uh -huh. uh, when she starts to melt in her seat. Then that it's gone forty five minutes. That's how I know it's going. That takes that's how. Long <laughs> that's good. That's a good idea. So I do apologize, but uh, because we run, Carl runs a tight ship from a sound perspective, so it has to stay tight. Yes, I love it. <laughs> well, you know what? Let me just say this real quick. The one thing I will say about the parking thing is that if you have 
a mid-sized city that's generating $3 million worth of parking violations, whether it be booted or tickets, then you're not only taxing the people here, you're taxing out-of-towners. And so now you're not being a really attractive city if that people coming from out of town are getting parking tickets on top of parking tickets. $3 million. If you're listening to this podcast, that's outrageous. We don't even have any mid-sized city in the United States that generates that much uh, revenue from parking violations. Second, you have to have recourse. You have to have a due process. If I get a ticket, I want to be able to plead my case to a judge to say, listen, this is the reason why this X, Y, Z, that I think this is unjust. I think it's unfair. And I don't even think that the, uh, Carol or not, she was on the Rick Jensen show. She actually went the full nine yards. She got a ticket and she was in the car. And she said, that could not have been. The time that you put on it, I dropped off my child and I stayed in my car at 8.15 in the morning. So when she said that on a Rick Jensen show and Rick Jensen had it, which was a local uh, radio show host. Oh, believe me, he's, we're going to be going after him and creating an old-fashioned radio war at some point. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I love uh, it. We'll do, something. But we'll do he, something for the ratings here. But he did. He actually had a show with her on. And she had to go through the, she had to go through a whole lawyer and everything and and she fought it and I'm glad she did because she she brought that out. Now this has been going on for 11 years. This has been going on for three administrations, whether it was Jim Baker, whether it was Seals, whether it was uh, it was Dennis was the last one. <laughs> I was wondering if you were gonna were you gonna name De- him because De- when you went back to Seals, I'm like he might skip. Dennis no, yeah, Dennis, <laughs> Dennis Williams. And we still haven't figured out how to fix this parking violation. Yeah, and again, I think it's it's because the focus of focus of this government is just to pull the money from the sources of money that they get it from. There's no sort of the accountability isn't on the, the person's end. You're absolutely and right. the, the way to build that account. <laughs> Yeah, the way to build that accountability through is to, to organize more people. And that's that is correct. So real quick, before we cut it off, um, I saw something that we missed that you did that I wish we could have hyped because you did like a local civics course at the library. It was yes. just like Civics 101, but it was in August. We would have hyped that up. I think that's totally dope. I hope you continue to do those. Yes, sir. Um, so what else are you up to that you can uh, that you can pitch because this will be out within a week's time. So anything going on in the next couple months? Well, we're, we're actually doing the Civics 101 series. So the first one was uh, the first one was just getting to know what your state representatives and your state senators are supposed to be doing and who's in charge, including your executive branch. Uh, the next one we're going to be doing is going to be about count, uh, campaign finance because we'll be in the midst of this 2020 election. And we want to talk about campaign finance. Who owns who? Because, you know, money is power. Let's not make no mistake about it. Money is power. And if you give somebody some money as an elect or to an elected official or to get somebody elected, you will have some power. We're talking about not small donors. We're talking about corporate donors and people who are giving to these particular uh, things. So we're, we're going to have another one of those. We just did our school uh, school bag, school supply giveaway on the Route 9 Carter. We didn't have it in the library. We had it right on the avenue. 
So we made sure that the people can see what we're doing in the community. I'm not too big on giveaways because I think that if you're going to liberate your community, they need to have a buy-in. So you never, you don't want to do too much of that. But what you want to do is if you come down, maybe there's something that we can, that you can help, help us to liberate the community. I love it. Well, you've listened to it again, folks. We're organizing everywhere. We're organizing South, East, West. These people on the West, they're very difficult. Yes, yes, they are. So we're trying our best. We're, we're, we're you know. We have the most difficult problem over here. It's a very recalcitrant, entrenched bullshit over here. Uh, but we're doing it. Uh, Chuck Yim's on Twitter. He's on Facebook. We're going to link to it. And Instagram. And IG. I mean, yeah. got to be on IG. <laughs> hold, on, hold on. Real quick, Rob. Instagram just put me on hiatus because I moved the too many things. So now I'm on uh, I'm on suspension on Instagram. Twitter put me in hiatus today. Uh, Twitter did because my one of one of my accounts said something bad about the Senate Majority Leader of the United States. But that's not oh Moscow Mitch. That's neither here nor there. Um, you can find us not that Twitter account the, the real show Twitter account at at Highlands Bunker. Um, Patreon.com backslash the Highlands Bunker is how you can support the show. Um, hope you're digging it. Um, we're actually going to have a lot of stuff planned. As I said, we have a, an academic coming on talking about gentrification in the real estate state. Um, we have a, a, a special guest next week uh, who's a, a legislator here there in Dover. We have a national guest who's just booked for October. Uh, so we're doing tons of stuff. So check it out. Try to throw us five, ten bucks. There's some tears there. Patreon.com backslash the Highlands Bunker. Lula Livre left his best. <laughs>